Welcome to Study, Grow, Know, where we discuss theology, prophecy, and current political issues from a conservative biblical perspective. Here's your host, Dr. Fred DeRuvo. Originally, I wanted to make this series about Jehoshaphat, but then I realized there were other kings we could learn from regarding how to trust the Lord, how to do the right thing, and how to avoid the dreaded problem of pride. We're going to start with Jehoshaphat, but include other kings too as we go. You know, we don't find a perfect king in the Old Testament of either Israel or Judah. In fact, there were a total of zero good kings connected with Israel after the nation split into two separate nations. Some of the kings of Israel were absolutely horrible kings, and a few seemingly delighted in trying to poke God in the eye. Now, the kings of Judah did not fare much better overall, except eh, for a few. Eight out of a total of 20 kings were generally good. Asa, Jehoshaphat, Joash, Amaziah, Uzziah, to an extent, Jotham, Hezekiah, and Josiah. These at least attempted to follow the Lord and were successful to a degree, some more than others. Now, the one commonality for the good kings is that they deliberately chose to do what was right before God. Repeatedly, the scripture tells us that a particular good king, quote, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, unquote, and then proceeds to tell us what he did correctly. Second Chronicles 14, 2, and many other passages like that point that out. Now, normally this included removing altars of foreign gods and the high places, as well as destroying carved images and many other things. These things were an abomination to God, and rightly so. Now, we tend to think, well, gee, I would never worship a foreign god represented by a carved image. But we need to think seriously about that because there are many things in life that can be worshipped and placed above God in importance, even though we don't physically bow the knee to that God or that thing that we crave. First and Second Chronicles are filled with narratives of kings who deliberately ignored Israel's covenant with God dating back to Mount Sinai during Moses' leadership. Instead of relying on God for direction and worshiping him only, most kings just did things their way. In effect, they were practical atheists. Now, what makes one king choose the self-centered way that is completely opposed to God, while a few chose to follow God's decrees? Some had hearts that were turned to him in awe, in love, and in worship. The rest, they were in it for what they alone could get out of it. And like many to most politicians today throughout the world, being a powerful leader can be very lucrative and self-serving. And it's probably, I would think, somewhat easy, depending upon the person's heart, to begin to reach for the things that benefit those people themselves, the leaders, instead of doing what's best for the people they represent. The temptation can be powerful, I would imagine. Jehoshaphat is an example of a good king of Judah, yet he made mistakes. In 2 Chronicles 17, we read Jehoshaphat became king and did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He went so far as to remove the high places from the land of Judah. Those high places were a constant snare to the people of Judah, tempting them away from worship of the only God. Now, all of this led to fear that gripped the nations around the land of Judah. They were afraid to attack Judah because of Jehoshaphat's rule and doing the right things. 
Then we get to 2 Chronicles 18, just one chapter later, and things go a bit awry with Jehoshaphat, where he made an error, uniting with terribly evil King Ahab, Israel's king. That was a serious mistake, and it doesn't matter what Jehoshaphat's motive may have been. Maybe he wanted to try to ease tensions between Israel and Judah, cement a bond between both kings. Maybe Jehoshaphat thought he would woo Ahab back to God, forgetting or not knowing that Ahab was never in God's corner from the beginning. Maybe there were other reasons that we're not aware of, but in truth, it was really a mistake that he did not even realize was a mistake. Please note that nowhere in the biblical text did Jehoshaphat seek the Lord's counsel to determine if he even should get together with Ahab. So how did he get involved with Ahab in the first place? Well, it was done through marriage, and this was a very common thing to do in ancient kingdoms, to ally oneself with a foreign kingdom, in this case Israel and Judah, to ensure peace uh, between foreign kingdoms and also to have a backup, someone who could catch your back if you had to go to war. Second Chronicles 18.1 says, Jehoshaphat had riches and honor in abundance, and by marriage he had allied himself with Ahab. Now, marriages in those days were often entered into because of how they created allies with other nations. As I mentioned, Jehoshaphat, because of marriage with someone from Ahab's line, became allied to Ahab, which ultimately almost caught Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat his life. Now, eventually, Jehoshaphat visited Ahab in Samaria, which was Israel's capital. There was a party, and right away we see what Ahab was aiming to do. 2 Chronicles 18.3 says, Will you go with me against Ramoth-Gilead? That's Ahab asking the question. Well, what could Jehoshaphat say? He couldn't refuse because his marriage created an alliance with Israel even though he may not have wanted to enter into war at that point. So he said he would, but he wanted to know what God wanted, so he insisted that they inquire of the Lord. Maybe he was hoping to hear no from God, and that would save him. However, King Ahab's prophets, I use the term loosely, all said what the king wanted to hear. And it obviously bothered Jehoshaphat in his gut that all the prophets were in unison regarding what Ahab should do. So Jehoshaphat asked whether or not there was someone else who would seek the Lord on the king's behalf. And Ahab stated that there was another prophet, Micaiah, the son of Imla, but Ahab didn't like that guy. He didn't like him because he never prophesies good concerning me, quote unquote, 2 Chronicles 18, 7. Gee, it couldn't be that Ahab was a terrible king because of how he allowed Baal to push out the God of Israel from Israel because of his wife Jezebel. Could that be the problem? Well, Jehoshaphat's response to Ahab was, quote, let not the king say such things, verse 4, about Micaiah. Okay, but the king did say it, and he meant it. Jehoshaphat was involved with a person who was not at all righteous, didn't care about being righteous, and certainly didn't care whether or not the God of Israel was pleased with him, Ahab. And remember the incidents with him and Elijah before that. Why was Jehoshaphat even bothering? Because he was literally in fellowship with an unsaved person who had no inclination to seek and serve the God of Israel and is very likely at this moment in hell. 
Now, this meant that Jehoshaphat was unequally yoked, according to Paul, 2 Corinthians 6.14. Instead of being able to affect Ahab for good, Jehoshaphat is actually dragged down with Ahab to a degree. And that's also a lesson for Christians. For us, we should be careful with whom we associate as far as friends go, because chances are great that we will fall to their level rather than lifting them up to ours. So in comes Micaiah. And interestingly enough, he responds to the king using sarcasm, quote, go and prosper and they shall be delivered into your hand, unquote. That's verse 14b. Micaiah was simply telling the king what he wanted to hear. And it was kind of in a sarcastic way. Ahab doesn't buy it. He says or asks, how many times shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Well, Ahab clearly doubted the veracity of the message. So he questioned Micaiah, who comes out with the real message that Ahab didn't want to hear. He says, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. But the Lord said, these have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. Ahab's response tells us how he viewed that bit of truth. Says this, did I not tell you he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? He's talking to Jehoshaphat. And then Micaiah tells those gathered more truth. And it was inconvenient for them. They didn't want to hear it. He was telling them how God would defeat Ahab using a lying spirit to tell Ahab lies, which the king would believe. Micaiah finishes with the following words to Ahab, quote, Therefore, look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of these prophets of yours, and the Lord has declared disaster against you, verse 22, unquote. Well, the very prophets Ahab counted on for information and wisdom were liars, they're telling lies. It's not that much different from today, with the many prophets within Christendom constantly ascribing to God what God is not actually saying, but some lying spirit is. So for telling the actual truth, though, Micaiah was struck on the side of the face, the cheek, by Zedekiah, and ultimately sent to prison by King Ahab. Essentially, King Ahab canceled Micaiah, because he didn't like what he heard, because Micaiah was telling the truth. Does that remind you of anything today? Well, truth angers people today, many people today, seems like most people today, and they will either ignore it or they'll attack the messenger who brings that truth. In fact, many become enraged when they hear the truth. This message is really clear that they're telling us, don't tell the truth, for instance, about transgenderism, that people cannot actually change their birth chromosomes, but can only appear to change genders outwardly. Don't tell the truth about COVID and the CV cocktail that has been injected into people and all the harm that has been done because of it. Don't tell the truth about America's southern border or the abysmal political situation in America and how we got here. Above all, do not tell the truth about people's need for Christ. Whatever you do, do not do that. Because you'll risk offending someone and you may incur their anger. Yet, Micaiah not only told the truth to Ahab, but he told the truth to Zedekiah. And the guy who hit Micaiah in the face and what he said panned out, which proved 
that he stated truth. You know, it's coming to a point where the attacks against Christians and the truth in general that we espouse by our lives, by our words, will put targets on our backs. And we will become fair game for the godless. Do we shrink from telling the truth to save ourselves, or do we continue to tell the truth in spite of consequences? It's not easy. It can be, it can be difficult. It can make us feel uncomfortable and physically unsafe. But we need to ask God to give us the conviction to state the truth all the time and to override our uncomfortable feelings about that that may exist. I don't want to stand before him one day knowing that I kept my mouth shut because I wanted to save myself from potential problems. We are truly living in the days of Noah and Lot, and I don't want to be like Lot. Do you? I want to be known for an unwavering commitment to my Lord and Savior, Jesus. He deserves my absolute and unfailing love, respect, reverence, and dedication to follow him without reservation wherever he leads. He can provide the ability to do that under the pressure from the world's attacks. So in these days of increased pressure, where truth is constantly being attacked and seen as lies or misinformation, Christians cannot afford to act like some of the kings of old, who did what they wanted, didn't care what God thought about it. We need to be like Micaiah, who stated the truth regardless of what other people thought of it. We may be slapped, we may be imprisoned, but we must continue to tell the truth. Thanks so much for joining me today, and until we meet again, I pray that God will open your eyes to show you how blessed you are in Him. You've been listening to Study, Grow, Know with Dr. Fred DeRuvo. Please join us each week for new broadcasts that deal with theology, prophecy, and political issues from a biblical, conservative perspective. 